Welcome to the OmniWin Project podcast, where we are accelerating the co-creation of the future of our democracy. My name is Duncan Autry, and I am a conflict transformation catalyst. I'm the creator of the OmniWin Project, and I'm your host. The goal of this project is to facilitate the healing and evolution of our democratic systems and our political culture, so that together we can co-create a future that works for everyone. What that means is that if you're tired of our polarized and divisive political culture, or if you're worried about the impact of today's decisions on future generations, well then you're in the right place. I believe that the world is ready for change, and I know that we have answers to most of the problems that we're facing. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing them with you. I'm in this for the long haul, and I hope that you'll join me. So come on over to the OmniWinProject.com where you can get more information, media, resources, and inspiration. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the OmniWin Project podcast. Welcome to the OmniWin Project. Hello, and welcome to the OmniWin Project podcast. This is a short question and answer bonus episode. This conversation is with Ray Rawls, and the audience comes from a group called the DPACE Initiative, Democracy, Politics, and Conflict Engagement Initiative. This follows the previous interview, which you can find in your podcast feed as Building Resilience in Relationships Through Dialogue. I encourage you to check them out and enjoy this episode. Thank you for listening. I'm going to start with sharing a question that came from a person in the audience, and it's relevant to something you were just talking about. They're asking about the different rounds of questions and whether or not different rounds serve different purposes. And I heard that implicit in some of the things you were just mentioning. And so as people are thinking about questions, but then specifically in the rounds, like how do you take people in that journey to that deeper layer from sharing to reflecting? Yeah. Okay. Well, let me talk about the rounds. There is a model. And, and we, you know, we shift around, but because I consider myself a little chaotic, so I love this structure because it's so different from who I am. So the first round, the three rounds, and then questions of curiosity. The first round asks you to share a story from your personal or community life that will help others understand what this issue means to you. The question, the story that the young man said to another a friend, why I know your mother was murdered praying in a church, but let me tell you my story around guns. So share a story from your personal life. And then the second round of questions, ask people to think about what's at the heart of the matter for them. What are your values, your hopes and fears I, I believe that it's important that people feel safe in their communities. That could mean responsible gun ownership, but expressing your deeply held beliefs and values and assumptions that are at the center of your conviction is typically the, the second question. And the third question, my favorite one is within your overall perspective on this issue, what are some areas of uncertainty certainty, or internal value conflicts that you're willing to speak about? 
And if you don't have any internal conflicts, if you know 100% that abortion should be illegal, what's the source of that conviction? And that's the question that I've seen softening of positions or internal curiosity. The woman who came to abortion dialogue that Dave Joseph described to me, a woman has an absolute right to do what she wants with her body. No ifs, ands, buts, absolute, no conversation. Then in response to that question is, I have a fear that one day they will locate a gene that will determine if a child will be gay or lesbian, and we'll see a holocaust of unborn gay and lesbian babies. So all out of that certainty, a woman has an absolute right, but I do have this fear. And in that space, you, you can lean into her if you have a very different opinion. And so those are the, the three rounds. And then the fourth round would be questions of curiosity, which are much less structured. And again, it's not rhetorical. It's not you teaching people a lesson, but a question that says, I, I really want to get what this means to you. Why is this important to you? How are you framing it that way? And I laugh when I describe it because I've seen some folks just struggle with it. It's, it's hard work. But when you get it right, the, the, the atoms in the room transform. It's something magical happens when someone who is taking a stance on something feels that, particularly someone on the opposite side, but not necessarily on the opposite side. They really want to get me. In my feelings, and it's transformation. It has the power to be transformation. Wow! Thank you, and thank you, Kim, for the question. And also, make sure that those questions are available in in the resources. So this is exciting to be hosting the Q and A here. And Wendy, I see a handful of questions from you. I'm curious if you're interested in bringing some of them forward. Thank you, Duncan. Um, I, I think I actually want to start in one of the my later questions and ask Ray, what motivates um, folks to come into these very difficult conversations? There, there are different motivations. Uh, the, we, they need to write a policy about protests and riots. And so maintaining a civic society in that case, the one group of dialogues that I did in um, a Southern state police community dialogues, Black female law enforcement officers said, we, we think we're doing the right work. We think we're, we're doing the work of supporting our country and community, but we don't want anyone to kill our sons. Sometimes I work for a leadership institute. So a lot of the work I do is through leadership training. And people would say, we're, I'm making up a Zoom city, wants to have a dialogue around an issue that's relevant so that leaders can understand the process and, and the approach and take it into their communities. Sometimes people are just tired of feeling fraught and 
the fearful, and I've doing a lot of work around the mask and what are we going to do now that we no longer trust science? Someone actually framed it that way. What are we going to rely on? And so said that at a Rotary Club and somehow it got to me that they wanted to have a conversation about how do we make decisions about public health and safety and that kind of thing. People come from a variety of reasons. Reasons and you know. Thanks, Ray. Um, You're welcome. Yeah. Did you have another question for me? I do. Oh yeah, you know me. Uh, I want to say there's something I that at least the, I, one of the things I remember most about being trained in this model was the importance of all that preparation. The the making sure that they're that the people who are convening it and designing it also represent the diversity of the community. So that someone might be able to say, oh, well, if that person's organizing this, I'll go because I respect them. So having there be respectful people, you know, and then also are making sure, no, 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 we can't talk about that because these people aren't going to want to talk about this. You know, we have to, in, the, the, in that preparation process, there's also just the designing of the questions and the theme and the purpose that also um, invites, you know, makes it inviting for folks. Very important. And you can spend a lot of time and energy on planning a dialogue and all of those strategic questions I have to be answered. And, uh, you know, I, I, I will say I like a diversity of values and opinions. Everyone doesn't like that. Choosing the right facilitator, the right physical space to hold the dialogue. Uh, there's a lot that goes on in prepping for it. And it should be a lot going on because the work is so very important. Um, and Ray, this is relevant to something uh, we're working on, but how do we help guide participants away from that process? They, they just want to have an answer to whether they support, you know, hydrogen or carbon something. Um, but how do we move them away from that um, into this area about the, how, how you value understanding and how it contributes to the eventual process. Like if we understand each other better, we can make better decisions related to the process. How do you kind of manage that? I love that question. In working with a group of engineers who were just, we need a formula, do this, do this, do this. And, and that is a real challenge, as you know, Wendy. We aren't going to solve the, the formula, the, the math problem. We, what, we, what we have heard from you is that the issue is not the formula. The issue is the relationship. Yeah, okay. It is interesting. I, I'm still grappling with that. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But I was talking to a, a colleague who I said, we need to do a lot more prep work with, with certain groups. I'm, and I'm, it's, that's the reality of it. But to talk, of, to help people differentiate between problem solving and problem understanding. And how do we create, I always say TikTok because I've never been on TikTok. So I have this fantasy of what it is. TikTok videos, if that's what you do, to help people see 
the value in understanding the variety of, of perspectives, perspectives prior to problem solving. Sometimes it's easy, people get it, but you know, neural diversity is a big deal. And I think that's work, I believe that's work we need to do. How do we engage people who, who understand calculus? I have this fascination with calculus because I'm like, what is it? What does E equals MC? I, I, I digress. But, but to really think about how we frame this, the benefit of this, no matter how you think and process information. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And I guess my last one, uh, um, social media, I'll just say social media concerns me and it really, um, I mean, do you see it interfering? It's a loaded question. Do you see it interfering with our ability to be in dialogue with each other when we come to thinking about doing this in sort of a larger scope when everybody seems to be having their conversations, but they're really not having conversations via these social media platforms? What's what do yeah. we say? Well, you know, yes, it's huge, it's problematic, but I had a student who wrote a dissertation on social media and dialogue. There are groups, Reddit did a remarkable job of creating a space for dialogue. There are rules and structure. It's, we we got to educate people about this. So much is going on, the focus on the negative part of social media, which is my experience, because I don't do a lot. And, but I think we, in the field of preserving democracy, conflict resolution, mediation, peace, love, and connection, we have to uplift the other possibility. The other thing I think we need to do is not just call out the other, but our own folk. I just, even on the, the news programs and publications I love, there's polarization. So-and-so made a fool out of so-and-so. Why don't you just share the story and let me judge who was made a fool of? And so I have been having conversations with two schools of journalism around reframing this. And there's a lot of interest about that in the field, for example, of journalism and folk who work in social media. And we need to be intentional about reaching out to people in, the, in those fields and educating them about the possibilities when journalists see their role as preserving democracy because a lot of them are okay with that, but also to encourage them to hold those mirrors up and say, how am I framing this story to preserve the values that we are supposed to hold in a democratic society? So we need to get together and write huge grants and go around and do a tremendous amount of good. That's the answer. Thanks, Ray. Thank you, Ray. And thank you, Wendy. And, you know, that's, uh, I think it's an interesting piece because of the scale that we're talking about. And, you know, the internet has people, all tons of people. 
in one of these dialogues, how many people more or less might participate in uh, in in a process? You know, what's your ideal number to have in a conversation? Well, the, the answer the question really is, Duncan, how many facilitators you have? I wish I had prepared for it. I will send this to you of a, 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 a middle school kid facilitating a dialogue with the chief of police and other law enforcement officers and members of the community. 145 people in the room. We trained 30 middle school, high school, and college students to facilitate. So with a face-to-face -face dialogue, I like seven to nine people in a room with virtual, maybe six, but it's, if you have skilled facilitators, and I've done several dialogues with over a hundred people now, as long as the, the actual conversation is small. Now, some people say, well, we want to hear everybody. Then we have to, you know, think of another way of doing it. So if we have a large group, we can break it into smaller groups and dependent on the amount of facilitators there are, right? Yes. Yeah. And I have done a couple where they were really large group and the facilitators were newbies, so to speak. So I was the master facilitator on the stage. And in fact, I did that with the, the one with the young kids facilitate. They were amazing. And so I was given the instructions to it. And it, it, the structure is challenging, as I said, but it really, if you want to break a habit of unlearn something, you, you need structure. You, you have to be intentional about not doing what you always do. That's what creates that safety that allows people to actually have an honest conversation. Uh, I want to invite a question from Courtney. And as, as it plays off a little bit of Wendy's question about the process and uh, when is it time for understanding and when is it time for making decisions. And I think, Courtney, I think your question on this would seems relevant. Thank you, Ray. And thank you, Duncan. This is such a great opportunity. Thank so, you. So, yeah, this, this does play off of Wendy's in a way. But I'm particularly curious when there's an ongoing, you know, multi-stakeholder process and it's moved out of the dialogue stage into a deliberative stage. And as a facilitator, you know, you may see the value of dropping back into RSD, um, just sort of as a reminder. Um, how do you sort of harness the dialogue to aid in the deliberation and use you know, helping the deliberation as a justification to return to dialogue. So the work that I do through the University of Georgia, a lot of a large group deliberative processes, oftentimes we do the dialogue first and then they go, we move into the deliberative process. It might be consensus building, it, it, a very variety of processes. And I rely on the group to let me know if they've hit a wall. So that's one thing. The other thing that I, I love is seeing people in other processes, including faculty meetings say, before you respond, please think for two minutes. And I'm going, wow. You know, so there are pieces of the dialogue, the communication agreements and the structures that can be used in a variety of processes. And I have had people say, no, we can't do that. We need to come to a decision. 
That's fine. Let's bring in the decision-making people who are doing the deliberative work. But you know now that there is an approach that you can use if you hit a wall or you just want to shift the tenor of what's happening in the room. You want a, a, a breather, so to speak. And I have had people say, oh my God, we've had 12 hours of this, maybe not straight, but let's do a check-in. Let's use a dialogic approach as a check-in. What about this conversation is, is, is working for you? How will you know? This is the actual question that people came up with, that we're heading in the right direction. What are the, the feedback that you will get, be it verbal, nonverbal, or otherwise, the quality of the questions, the quality of the deliberation. As a reminder of people, we're on track or the mayor is once again talking a lot and is taking the expert stance in a way that's not particularly helpful. So it's a, I think it's a tremendous way of checking in. So I hope that's responsive to your question. Yeah. It's interesting because it seems to me like there's a lot of processes where that would be an interesting thing to consider because people have already gone down the deliberative path. That's the direction that they already were going and they never even thought to have the conversation about understanding first. And, uh, and that's, uh, I feel like that's a particularly interesting one. I, I know, for example, um, state of California is doing as a task force to talk about reparations. And that's one of the first states thinking about how to do uh, reparations. And they're, you know, having their, their first roadblock right now is, is this for all, like only the descendants of slaves or is it for all, you know, black folk? And and then there's also this outside voice. It's like, uh, what about the Chinese and the Latinos that are, and you know, they got enslaved and the indigenous people and what about them? And that wasn't even part of the task force, you know, and they have nine more months to come up with a policy plan. And they didn't really have the conversation up front that they needed to have. And it's interesting to think about, you know, around these issues that feel so urgent and, and are important, like how to tell people, well, hey, let's go back to the drawing board and let's just try to understand what everyone is experiencing, you know, like it's, it's hard to yeah. figure out how to slow it down. I mean, I'm sure actually some of the issues that you have talked about, I'm sure people started to come up with answers and decided to go back. Oh, absolutely. A deliberative process, for example, they hit a wall, a policy that was created that stirred things up. It was like, oops, we missed the first step with reparations. What does that mean? You know, the idea that this is our eighth meeting and we found out that your definition of rep reparations is very different from mine. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I am actually seeking a group to talk about reparation. It keeps coming up, but I can't get a group together to talk about it. But, uh, one of the conversations that I was a part of, they wanted to have the conversation and then they became kind of fearful of it because there were a lot of people from the islands in the room, people of color. And they were like, no, you, no, you don't, this is not your stuff. You are uh, African people who some oftentimes get the treated with racial animus 
but you say, well, you, your people weren't here. You don't get $2.57 and that kind of crazy. I think that's a really good conversation to have a dialogue around. I was reading some materials of yours before, and there was this line that's just, you know, the goal of reflective sexual dialogue is to open or reopen the spaces when communication has been closed. And I just think there's so many conversations that we, people have closed the conversation, closed the question session, come to their decision, and decided what's going to happen, but there actually haven't been any solution yet. And we're going to be stuck if we stick in those closed conversations. And so I just, the capacity to reopen and to, you know, bring in that complexity and that nuance is so important. And this is where like that com being clear about the purpose is so important is that we also need to be clear about what the definitions are. Like, what are we actually talking about? And that, that layer is so important. Anyways, I just want to say thank you, Ray. Thank you for all your decades of doing this work. Thank you for your passion and for being such an advocate for better human connection. Thank you, Duncan. I do. Yeah, see, Kimberly said there's a lot of new data out there. Yeah, yeah. if anybody has some things they want to share, they're totally welcome to. You know, um, I don't know if you you got it or not, but um, the Atlantic hosted a an event this past week or last week that I didn't get to um, watch, but it is on YouTube, and it's called the uh, disinformation and the erosion of Dis democracy. So the disinformation is, um, of course, tied a lot to social media. So there were uh, a lot of speakers on that. I will send you that, and then uh, the Atlantic had another recent. Um, article that I'll put in the chat um, that um, cites other studies as well. So yeah, it's, it's good, good to see and even how it's affecting children, right? Like the okay. in anxiety and depression tied around, not just social media, but we've had a lot going on with just COVID and stuff too. But, yeah. um, and it's hard to separate out what the causes are because there are a handful of them these days. And, yeah, I'll send them on for sure. Thank you. It's fabulous. Just so folks know, sort of some of the arc of where this project is going and so forth. Uh, as I build the website, I'm excited to be working with DPACE actually, but to be building a, a like a pretty extensive resource library because all these different pieces are connected. You know, as like some really great work that people are doing to to sort of pierce through disinformation and like really do thoughtful. Uh, like meta news analysis and and so forth and some people are working on that and you know i want us to be more aware of those options and there are people who are trying to figure out the policy process that you know be a great place for us to build in some of this reflective structured dialogue so future uh, interviews will be We'll be talking about the polarities of democracy citizen assembly processes participatory democracy and various other topics, different kinds of theories and frameworks that can help us do this. So please stay tuned. There's a lot of good stuff coming out soon. So stay good. tuned. Yep. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the OmniWin Project podcast. I am so grateful to today's guest for being on today's podcast. And if you liked what they had to say and you want to learn more about them or any of the things we discussed in the episode today, Check them out in your show notes right there on your podcast app. 
or come on down to omniwindproject.com where you can get even more information. You can find a video version of this podcast as well as the transcript. And there are many more episodes that are going to be coming soon. So don't forget to subscribe to the podcast right now and share it with everyone.